Hello, Ali. Hello, Joey. We are back for season two. We're back. <laughs> and this season, we are looking at all things Charles Dickens. We certainly are. What's your favourite Charles Dickens book? Oh, gosh. Do you know what? I think Great Expectations. Uh, I just, I love it. Yeah, that is a good one. I did that for my final show at drama school. I think mine would be David Copperfield, personally, because it's, um, it's the first one that I properly saw. And it's the first time that I was introduced to his whole thing that we're going to be discussing in this podcast of like goodies and baddies and repulsive characters and nice characters. And I think as an 11 year old boy, it had quite a strong effect on me. Yeah, I'd say that. I think there's, there's so many wonderful Charles Dickens books that we, we all know really, really well. So things like Oliver and, you know, Christmas Carol. And we all we think of these as like very like traditional Victorian things. But we've got an amazing guest on today who's going to tell us about the real Charles Dickens and whether all of those kind of stereotypes that we have in our head are accurate or not. Yeah, because we do have that, don't we? We have cliche ideas about the Victorian era, don't we? You have... I think of sideburns, I think of snow <laughs> gently falling, I think of log fires, uh, top hats, canes, cruel schoolmasters, but we're going to just sort of dismantle that a little bit in this podcast, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. So we thought to start off with our first episode on Charles Dickens, instead of going straight in with a book like we did with our last season where we go straight in with a play, we would learn a little bit about the man and, and the, the person who actually wrote the story before, you know, diving straight in with, with one of the stories. Because I think it's really important that we know a little bit about his history before we read all of his books. And I think it will help influence kind of how we see the books when we read them. Absolutely. Because as you said, you know, we've all got our favourite, you know, whether it's the Muppets Christmas Carol, which I think a lot of people love. I love Oliver, actually. When you mentioned Oliver, I remember that was the first musical that I saw. But everyone does have their own favourite. So I think it'll be really good to uh, get a slightly different edge on it. Definitely. I'm obsessed with Muppets Christmas Carol. It's literally my favourite. Come November, I am singing all of the songs. Oh, Kermit is the best character. I think if I could, if I, if we could, we've got to try and have Kermit on this podcast. I think that's <laughs> going to be our, that's going to be our aim for this season. Get Kermit on the pod. If you're listening, Kermit, please come and be with us. <laughs> Talk to your agent. We'll negotiate. We'll settle something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, is that your impression? That's uh, not my impression. It's not quite as good as my Gollum one in, in season one, is it? Oh, God. <laughs> Terrible, terrible. But I'm so excited about this guest. I think she's just so interesting. It's so exciting to have some, you know, because we've interviewed a lot of actors and they've been brilliant over season one. But this is a historian, isn't she? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I haven't told her any of this before she comes on, but I'm a bit of a super fan. And I've listened to her on multiple, multiple podcasts. So I'm very, your, very excited. Your, have you got your autograph book ready? Oh no, sorry, selfie stick. <laughs> generation. Just do a Zoom screenshot. <laughs> she won't know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're going to be talking about a lot of exciting things. And I guess to kind of set the scene, this is a time when Charles Dickens is writing these books. It's a time of real change where most of the country was countryside before the Industrial Revolution. And then suddenly everyone moved to the cities. And that's what spawned this world, this exciting world we're about to, uh, to step into. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think we were having a conversation before 
about the Industrial Revolution. We were saying pre-Industrial Revolution, you had 80% of people were living in the countryside. And then you had this huge change where everybody moved into the city because it was where wealth was going to happen. And 80% of people ended up living in the cities instead. And it was completely different. I suppose it's like for us, technology that we have now and how that happened really quickly. And suddenly everybody had iPhones and things like that. It's the equivalent for them is, is like that for us. I've explained that terribly, but you know what I mean. No, absolutely. And I remember there's one scene, specific, it's funny how you remember these things, but I remember there's one scene in Oliver Twist, Oliver the musical, when I went to watch it, which is where they sing Consider Yourself. And it's right outside St. Paul's Cathedral. And it's this vibrant London scene where you've got the market sellers and you've got all the men on ladders and you've got the smoke. And it was, I think that's in a way what he was capturing was this exciting exodus away from the countryside and this move to London where people saw life as you know being in London but actually as we find out it wasn't quite what a lot of people thought and we're going to get into that at a later stage. So without further ado do you want to introduce this week's guest? Yes I do. So our guest today is a cultural historian and an expert in sex, suffrage and entertainment in the Victorian and Edwardian eras. She's host of the History Channel's podcast series, Not What You Thought, and presenter of BBC Four's A Victorian Scandal, The Rudest Book in Britain. She's also author of books such as The Victorian Guide to Sex and Death in 10 Minutes. We are so pleased to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Fern Riddell. Hello. Hi. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our first podcast about Charles Dickens. We started this episode by giving our listeners like a little bit of back history about industrial revolution and like the whole world that Dickens would have grown up in and we were just wondering if maybe you could give us like a few fun facts about Victorian life that are not what people think they know already just the, the reality of what it was really like. I think when we talk about Dickens the thing that we've got to remember is he's living and writing at a time that's so exciting you know this is 1840s 1850s 1860s the middle of the 19th century and this is a time of the railways really exploding huge technological advances everyone really fighting for their rights and for their voices to be heard and in 1859 you get Charles Darwin and the origins of species being published so it's a book that smashes everyone's conception of what the world is and the world around them and how we live in it and what our place is so he is living at one of the most exciting times we have ever had. When he grew up, so in his childhood, he obviously had these huge ambitions, didn't he? Didn't he look at, am I right in thinking he looked at a house called Gad's Hill and wanted to live there? Or he said to his dad he wanted to live there or something? I think Charles is one of those people who has a great sense of, uh, he is a great writer in, in both his own writings and in his own biography. So <laughs> it's very helpful for him to sort of write when he's writing his own backstory to kind of say these things. And whether or not it's fact or fiction, who knows, but he does have this, this self-fulfilling destiny in his heart that he has to do something but that's actually something a lot of the Dickens children share his his brothers and his sisters his sister Frances or Fanny Dickens as she as she's known was actually the one that everyone thought was going to make the family money because she was an amazing musician and singer and she was at the Royal Academy of Music which had only just opened as one of its leading stars 
So before Dickens even put pen to page, his sister was already quite famous, very well known, and earning and um, trying to earn money to kind of help the family. So he doesn't come from he doesn't come from a background that isn't about being self-made. You know, that's how he and his brothers and sisters all kind of look at the world as something where they have to make their place in it, even if they have to fight to get there. Mm, yeah, you can see that a lot in, in his work as well, can't you? Like a lot of his stories kind of based around, you know, fighting to get to the top and, 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 and making it good and kind of, I suppose, I guess our American listeners will like that because it's like American dream sort of like philosophy, start at the bottom, work your way up. And wasn't, wasn't he, didn't he live in prison with his dad for, for a bit? Well, Dickens' childhood is, is, you can see it come through in all of his novels, but the thing that we, we, we need to remember is he didn't talk about his childhood. It wasn't known until after his death. So the fact that we now read it back in his stories and think it's amazing, it was a real secret at the time. So you've got to kind of remember that in, in Dickens' own life. But his childhood is, is, is a really tragic and sad one. Um, his father works for a naval pay company. So he's born in Portsmouth where there's a huge kind of dockyard and lots of a big naval base. And his dad is there helping sailors get paid and, and everything happens. Um, but he unfortunately, with a family of eight kids, is unable to really live within his means. So very quickly, the family end up in lots and lots of debt. And having lived kind of between London and Portsmouth and a bit of Kent, when Charles turns about 10 or 11 in 1824, his dad ends up having so much debt that he is sent to prison. And at this time, it wasn't just the dad who goes to prison, the whole family goes. It's in the Marshalsea, it's this really famous debtors prison in London at this time. So the whole family, all the young kids, everyone else ends up there. And Fanny, who's at the Royal, Music, the Royal Academy of Music, and Charles, who's in school, are the only two who actually manage to stay outside of this prison system. And Charles is living with an elderly lady. Fanny's off being a musician, trying to earn, trying to kind of work out what her life is going to be like. And on Saturdays, they go and they visit their family in debtor's prison in the most horrific circumstances so this is where Charles kind of his his first interaction with poverty and debt and the prison system really comes from is as a very young child watching its effects on his family whilst he's outside and we, and we should talk shouldn't we a little bit about the backdrop going on at this time that you know the industrial revolution people were coming to London for the first time. And it was, it was the first introduction of the middle class sort of, wasn't it? In a way that aspirational living and, and, and the class, how did the class structure form at, the, at this point? Well, the middle class has kind of been going, it's been emerging out of the, the previous century, the 1700s. But what we've got at this point is that you suddenly have this explosion in aspiration, in social dynamics. So if you're born working class or if you're born lower middle class and you are skilled or clever or you've got a canny brain and you can be a clerk or you can come up with an idea or a new technology that people want to buy and invest in, suddenly really for the first time we see mass movement between the classes so you can start out in one position and then if you work hard enough 
you can get enough money to move up the classes and and that's something that victorians really kind of focus on is this old money versus new money and how that feels and it's something a lot of writers kind of cover like north and south by elizabeth gaskell in the same period everyone's looking at this new change this new shift but for dickens you know his family kind of are middle class they kind of experience it backwards so his father's a clerk in the navy it's nice it's it's not a terrible um kind of existence the kids are, are going from you know are going to be educated everyone thinks it's okay but of course behind the scenes his dad is just bleeding money and doesn't have any ability to keep the family living within their means so they end up they end up back in into in prison so it's this real kind of role reversal that's not that they were born into poverty and they end up in prison it's that they came from quite comfortable background but were so unable to manage their money and having too many children that they then end up suddenly stepping down the ladder into poverty and i think for a young charles dickens it must have been absolutely horrific because what happens next is not that charles stays in school and waits for his family to get out of his death prison because how do you do that you know how do you get out of prison if you've got no money and you're in there because you've got no money and no one else no one else is earning money for you well it becomes charles's responsibility and at the age of 12 he's sent into a factory to earn money to try desperately to pay to get the family out of these awful circumstances painting groups or something yeah so he's sent into this awful absolutely kind of horrific um warehouse in it's just behind what is now sort of charing cross station which is a boot blacking factory and his job is that he has to paint um the the kind of the name the the labels onto pots of boot black to be sold at other places and kind of package them up and he's very alone he's very isolated in this factory in a tiny little room and there's lots of other children around and he describes it in this kind of amazing way he calls it a crazy tumble down old house overrun with rats rotten floors the sound of their squeaking and scuttling coming up from the stairs at all times and the factory moves to covent garden he goes there as well and the room that he's he's having to do the labels in has a window onto the street and crowds of people stand around to look at these poor young boys working in poverty so he's being observed the whole time and he's just it's just you can just imagine for a young boy who's had some education, who's come from quite a comfortable or so he thought background, to suddenly end up in the absolute squalor and poverty of these horrific factories which were run on child labour and then to be watched by people through a window, it must have been incredibly traumatic. So, so, like, so many horrible things you hear about like that time and period with victorians like how they would open up the workhouses and people would go look at them like they were freaks to watch sort of the insane people or the women who were hysterical and it's yeah and the way he he writes what you've just the quote you just said it's very visceral you can really see it and experience it and i think obviously that experience is, is fantastic because it puts onto paper really well because he's lived it and it's a very long rambling sentence and I think that tends to be kind of his style I find I open up a book and I'm, I'm reading and then I'm like oh I'm half a paragraph down and it's still the same sentence and <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean it's his style yeah it's so true yeah 
it is it's and i think i think that's one of the kind of like the problems that we have with our modern brains and our modern way of how people write is when you're trying to get into dickens for the first time you open up a page and you are literally like okay let's take a breath and read to the end of the sentence and you've run out of breath by the time you've got there so i for people who do audiobooks i have no idea how they get through dickens because they must kind of have a kind of trumpeter's ability to breathe through their nose at the same time but it is it is what's so remarkable about him remarkable about his way of writing is that he is an incredible character writer so you were right when you said visceral it really he gets you in there so it's not a case of kind of painting a pretty picture and then introduces a line of dialogue and another line of dialogue and this and that it is that he he wants you to be in that moment with every single character experiencing their emotions experiencing what they smell experiencing kind of what is happening around them at that time and as a reader it may feel like something that you're sort of like oh no this is too much information i can't deal with it i can't handle it you know slow down but he really needed to to get people into a world that they may not have any tangible connection to and make it flesh and blood for them for the first time and he does that really well we speak to quite a lot of actors and they say that whenever they play a, a role in Charles Dickens, exactly what you just said, the description just puts them in that world just by reading the script, you know, mm -hmm. the most amazing guidelines you could, um, you could ask for. Um, I just wanted to jump to his career, I suppose you call it, as a, or the beginning of his career as a journalist, where he started writing the Pitwick papers mm -hmm. um, and wanted to just know if you could tell us a little bit about those. Well, we've got to remember that when Dickens starts writing Pickwick Papers, it's, uh, they come out in serialisation in 1836, and he's in his early 20s. I mean, you know, there's, you look back on Dickens' life, and yeah, there's a lot to be jealous of, because he's, he's, he's that talented, and he's that able to start writing at such an early age. But he isn't doing anything new in writing the Pickwick Papers, because serialization, which is where, you know, these short stories, this short form comes out in periodicals or magazines or kind of early newspapers of the time. And, and it comes out sort of chapter by chapter, like Netflix episodes. It's, you know, you, you can't binge, you have to wait for the next one. And so people get really excited. And the Pickwick Papers is, is that in, in, it's a serialization that just manages at that time to really, grab people's attention and it's a case of kind of going viral in the Victorian way people absolutely have to get there waiting for the next installment and they're getting really excited about it so for Pickwick Papers it kind of it introduces him to the stage as an as an as a fiction writer but he's already had a career as a, as a kind of a sketch writer a political writer a social commentator you know before before the age of 24 because he's he's in that world and he's once he you know once he's managed to um the family have got out of the debtor's prison because his grandmother dies and leaves 450 quid to his father and that's what pays the family debts and they reunited and charles goes back into education for a couple of years which is really good and then he becomes a very junior law clerk at the age of 16 he's working at the age of 16 as a law clerk and then realizes quite quickly that that's not quite where he wants to be, but he's fascinated by this world of law and politics and everything else. So he becomes a freelance journalist. And it's that life, the kind between of his late teens, his early twenties, 
where he starts writing sketches for the first time, having them published in periodicals and newspapers that really gives him that bug for going, well, do you know what? I can do this. People like what I'm saying. They like what I'm writing and I've got things to say. And I think, you know, as a writer myself, the moment you realize you have something to say, not a lot of people can stop you that you have to do you have to do that you have to get that information out there you will write for anything for any any and put it anywhere and that's what dickens does and that's what kind of makes helps him to learn how to write what people what readers are interested in and then what he wants to say i love that 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 thing where you have to get it out so even if it's at the middle of the night I'm sure you've probably had this where you're in bed and then you'll be falling asleep and then your brain will be like oh this and then you have to grab a pen and paper or your phone and like try and write it down so you don't forget it because you know that if you fall asleep and you wake up in the morning it's gone <laughs> yeah it's exactly that and we know Dickens was someone who was a prolific writer you know he's a book a year which is insane uh, on kind of especially or a book every sort of 18 months and then he will write 90 pages in a year very you know just all the time writing all the time sketches all the time ideas all the time so he is he is you know writing is it's not a job to him it's a vocation it's something that he he could not have done anything else really I think and he he's living at a time when social commentary is so important you know Victorian newspapers aren't aren't like our newspapers today where sort of people leaf through them leaf through them at the weekend or anything like that they are they are the internet of the day mm. so it you were obsessed by your newspapers there were hundreds there were little provincial newspapers there were big ones that were published across the country and they were telling you about you know divorce cases and political bills and the secret lives of mps and the lives of your neighbors and the lives of people in poverty and the lives of the you know you just you went there for information and one of the things that isn't different about our world and the victorians is we like information that's why people are obsessed by the internet you know that's why people are obsessed by everything and watch the news and, and all of that so he's part of this great kind of community of writers who want to write about the world around them he just manages to be really really good at it yeah and you, you were saying that you know it's like his things that he would release in like sections um it was like netflix you couldn't binge it all in one it, he kind mm -hmm. of invented the cliffhanger almost didn't he to bring people back in each each time to read the next edition to find out what happens well the word cliffhanger for an ending that leaves you gasping actually was first applied to thomas hardy in the 1870s but it's just dickens was doing it before then <laughs> and he was doing it really well there just wasn't a name for it before that point so you know i'm not sure what they called it maybe maybe when hardy was writing he was like i'm just going to dickens this but <laughs> you know it's it's that kind of impact it's and it's something that he was so successful in that the serializations of the old curiosity shop which has this very famous death in it of little now when Dickens is having this, this, he's writing these serializations and they're coming out, he's very famous now in America by this point, and people are packing New York Harbor, waiting for the British ship to arrive, carrying the new edition, screaming, has little Nell died? Like there are riots waiting to get their hands on this because they want to know. And we, we tend to forget the power that 
being a published writer or being in that world sort of had at that time. So yeah, is this idea of 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 leaving your audience hanging for the next instalment is one that Dickens really knew how to do. He knew how to press buttons, like he knew how to get people's emotions really invested in the characters and the worlds he was creating. Why do you think it is, and, and just listening to you um, talking about that and that structuring and that really clever way of pushing our buttons, um, mm. he seems to, whenever he writes characters, compared to other writers, he seems to have a really strong opinion about them either way. They, they, don't, they, they, they seem to be either extremely moral or absolutely grotesque. And mm. sometimes you kind of find ones in the middle, but what do you think it was uh, that, that led him to, to write characters like that? I think this is, you absolutely hit on the nail on the head of why I get so cross when people only use Dickens to talk about the Victorian period because he does just divide people into morally good or morally bad or absolutely perfect or absolutely horrific. And as a Victorian historian, the worst thing about trying to write and, and get people interested in this period is that people think that exactly how it was. That's just it, because we base all of our ideas on Dickens. And that's really wrong. I think it's his, it's his style of writing. And it's also the reason why he's, his books have been so influential and why they were so powerful at the time is that unbeknownst to a lot of his readers, he had lived that life. So he writes with absolute certainty and absolute knowledge about what it's like. And whilst his readers may have kind of been like, oh, Mr. Dickens is just so good at kind of exploring this world. And I, I had no idea. And it's just all invention. And it wasn't for him. Mm. It was really biographical. You know, think of David Copperfield. Think of um, Dombey and Sons or, um, or, you know, Pickwick Papers or Christmas Carol or anything that touches on poverty and pain he had an absolute child's knowledge of what that was. And then through his journalism in his late teens and his early twenties, looking at the law courts, looking at politics, then kind of how the systems work and how broken they are and how people fail and how they can be corrupted and how people can kind of use them to get what they want and not act fairly. If you think of kind of all of the twists and everything that goes into that. So it's, it's not that he's this incredible fiction writer who was just sitting at home creating amazing worlds. He's a reality fiction writer. He was writing with absolute knowledge and that's what makes him so powerful in describing those worlds. The way you say it, you know, he's writing it from like a child's perspective. Maybe that's why the characters are good guys and bad guys so much because yeah. children see the world that way, don't they? I feel like when you read his books, the character name is always a dead giveaway of, of what they're going to be like. It's like, oh, their, their name is Nasty McNasterson. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very much like that. I think also it's Dickens is not, he's not the greatest writer in the world. Like you don't sit down and read Dickens and go, oh my God, this book is, is just the most beautiful thing I've ever read. I can't believe it. You know, you sit down and you read Dickens, and you're like, oh yeah, this story is amazing. This story is amazing. I'm hooked, I'm gripped, the characters are great. But he's not, uh, you know, he's not the most amazing writer in the world. He is a popular author. People can re find him readable and they find his way of writing the world in this very kind of black and white manner. 
very interesting, very easy to the Victorian. And that's a lot of what makes popular fiction today is not making it the most beautiful prose or the most complicated thing or the most, you know, a book that you feel really worthy reading by the end of it because you've got to the end. It's easy, it's accessible, it's something that they recognise and the dynamics aren't difficult. So it's a very quick kind of popular, he's just a very, very good popular fiction writer. And one of the things that we have to question today is how the tropes he uses and the fact he makes his characters black and white, what that actually means to us now and, and how fair it was as a judgment on the Victorians themselves. Because the Victorians were not black and white. They were really complicated just as we are complicated. And they held a really diverse and really exciting attitude that you will not find in Dickens. In terms of what he's left behind and his legacy and, and these sorts of, um, I suppose, ideas that you say he kind of paints people out as. How, how do you think it's fared over time? Like what kind of legacy do you think he's left in terms of popular, you know, mo modern culture, I suppose? I think it's interesting that w the reason why Dickens is so popular now is a lot to blame with the 1950s. And there was this huge social and kind of intellectual movement to reassess Dickens and to put him in the curriculum and to make him part of everything and to, to really focus our attentions on Dickens because the values post-war were very quite sort of the same. You had to have either easy things, black and white characters, not questioning good, evil, sorted. And, and I think we have fallen into a trap of only appreciating Dickens in those little worlds that he created, which means we ignore amazing Victorian authors like um, Elizabeth, uh, Mary Elizabeth Braddon, who was writing these amazing works of fiction that are really, you know, have powerful female characters and are really dark and are really kind of exciting and sexy. And we don't think about her because we're, all, we're only taught to read Dickens. So the first thing I would say is don't only read Dickens. If you want a Dickens legacy, don't only read him, go and read other people. But we also have to look at his work in context, not just of the books he wrote, but what he also wrote in his personal writings. And that gives us a very different angle on this, on this man. And it makes us ask challenging questions about who the people are from the past that we idolize because Dickens in his personal writings and in his uh, in his prolific work that was published that isn't his novels he holds anti-semitic beliefs he's racist he you know he had a really complicated reaction and and relationship with women and we have to acknowledge this we have to talk about this and talk about Dickens uh, about his novels and I think that's a really you know, too, for far too long, people only think of A Christmas Carol as your lovely Christmas novelty. You know, it's Muppet, Muppet Christmas Carol. And I, I bloody love Muppet Christmas Carol. You know, that's that for me, if that could be Dickens Legacy, I would be really happy with that. We're hoping, but, we're hoping to have Kermit on the podcast in a few weeks time. Oh, amazing. <laughs> See, that would be perfect. But that's a really one dimensional view. And we really, we have to understand that Dickens is writing in a way that uh, and had attitudes that we really disagree with today and also were disagreed with at the time let's understand you know people a lot of people like to make excuses about the past and say oh it was just a really racist time and everyone held these beliefs and that's all okay that's not true in the slightest mm -hmm. we have to understand that you know dickens was was writing and held views 
that were that were met with disagreement in his period as well and acknowledging that is really important yeah he was horrendous to women um mm. his poor wife he had like <laughs> ten, 10 children with her and then just dumped her i mean considering his yeah. childhood and how he grew up you would think he knew better but you would and i think i think what's fascinating is his his relationship with women is really complicated and that starts early and it it starts in childhood especially when when the family get out of marshall sea and they get out of this letters prison and they're reunited for the first time his mum doesn't want him to go back to school she wants to stay in the factory never forgives her and so on the one hand you can kind of understand that because imagine being forced to stay in a, in in a job and in a, a world that is so horrific and so so deeply disturbing to you because your mum wants you to earn money and you want to go and get an education like she he he never forgives her for that so his his real kind of dislike and and problems with women starts very early on starts kind of from that that moment and then when he marries he marries really young you know, he marries at 20, I think 23, 24, his wife is 21, they have 10 children, and then he goes off and he has affairs with everyone, and the marriage breaks down, and he has a number of affairs with actresses, he has affairs with very young women, but he also idolizes the women that he thinks of as beautiful and pure, so his sister Mary, who dies in his arms, mm. becomes someone that he then uses as inspiration for Little Nell and for Florence in front of me and, and Rose in Oliver Twist, who actually ends up in the book being Oliver's maternal aunt, which is this big sort of discovery. But these are very beautiful, very innocent, very pure, perfect women. So Dickens' own personal attitude to women is written through all his books. The unfortunate thing is because we all read Dickens and because we're all taught Dickens, we then all focus on that being how everything was. And of course it isn't, it's just one man's perception of the world around him. So interesting hearing you talk about this because it does just make you think, doesn't it? When you go back, it, for some reason, the Victorian era seems to be the only era where we think about people as either, you know, good or <laughs> awful or colorful. Yeah. And, 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 and this horrific time, you know, but actually it, it's just one man's head and, and we're mm. all taught that he is the god of that era, but actually mm. it's just his own opinion and his own yeah. outlook on life that we're judging that on. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the most important thing to remember when you're reading Dickens is he is a fantastic popular fiction writer. He's popular at the time. He's also deeply disliked at the time because both of his fame and also because other writers are like, I write way better than he does. Where's my fame? And, you know, and that's it. And he, he does write with this really kind of one dimensional attitude. And especially as Alex said, which was such a great kind of reading of it with kind of this child's mentality of good and bad. And that's it. And, and so I think we remember that when you were reading Dickens in that if you like what he says and you like the world that he creates, go and read more and not just him. Read Mary Elizabeth Braddon, you know, go and go and or go back through the texts and think, how much is this showing me about the real author? So, you know, I love David Copperfield and the film that has just been done with Dev Patel, beautiful. I mean, it's amazing. But the moment you know Dickens' story, you sit watching or reading David Caulfield going, oh my God, you just wrote about your life and changed a few names. And that's it. That's all you did. So it's, it's yeah, it's, you've got to put him in context, I think. I think that's such a lovely 
way to wrap this up like take him with a massive pinch of salt and yes see it for what it really is yeah absolutely and I think I think it's just so important to question everyone you read and really understand what their motives are for writing and and who they were because otherwise you know you're just we just sort of regurgitate and we don't think and we don't question and it's so important that we we really get to the heart and the truth of of all of this wonderful thank you so much i, I literally could talk to you for hours and hours, and hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, i want to get into the whole like women and sex part of your night <laughs> Um, we'd love to have you back on another podcast in the future. So anytime, anytime. <laughs> this is really fun. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks so much, Fern. You've been brilliant. Thank you. That was so interesting. I absolutely loved talking to her. What an amazing guest. I think that just brings, I love it when you just learn new information and it brings a different edge on those preconceptions that you've got in your mind before beforehand. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we could have done like a three hour long podcast. I could have just sat here and listened and been like, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this. I just want to know it all. Should we name this podcast, Please Fern, Can I Have Some More? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. I think that um, one of the great things that we want to do now, because obviously we're about to embark on this fest, you know, I make it sound like it's a chore, like it's a, like it's a voyage. It's not at all. It's going to be a wonderful actual book club this time, not play club, but book club. But I think that hopefully everyone's feeling as excited as we are and inspired to start reading these books because i think we're going to we're going to look at them now in a different context i think that's the that's the interesting thing is as we spoke about there's a lot of cliches that are played towards and we kind of have this idea that in the victorian era everyone suddenly becomes these villains and heroes and it would be very weird if that just suddenly happened and then we all went back to normal as as fern said you might not agree um, you might think it's something completely different, but it's very interesting just to broaden our minds a bit. And when we go and look at our first book, um, just have that in the back of our minds that this is very much really credits to his imagination as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I feel like we're going to have some heated debates on feminism again. It happened last season where I had a lot of opinions, uh, just, you know, characters like Mrs. Habersham. Just, I can't wait to get really in involved in that she's an amazing character and it actually got me thinking with 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 firm and we were talking to her that a lot of these central characters in a lot of these plays you know characters like david copperfield and oliver and sort of pip although pip's quite interesting but a lot of these central characters are actually quite bland i wouldn't say like vanilla but there's not really much to them are there you know and it's all the characters around them it's the fagans and the pumblechutes and the havishams and the jaggers who are the really juicy ones and you can't help thinking that maybe was Charles Dickens basing the protagonist on himself and it's just a credit to how observant he was that actually he didn't really know who he was he was just this passenger going through life and actually it was the crazy world around him that he was paying attention towards. That's really interesting as um, Vern was saying that you watch or you read uh, David Copperfield and you're like oh it's it's your life I also read a thing uh, Miriam Margolis has a book called Women in Dickens uh, and it's all the female characters in all of the the Dickens stories and she has this theory that Dickens is Miss Havisham he's this like bitter old spinster character you know locked alone in their house who's very resentful to the exes of the past. That's fascinating. I mean, by the podcast that we just heard, I would have thought that she'd be based on his mother from, from what Firm was saying. But actually, that does make sense that he might have been subconsciously basing so much of his own resentment into this one person. 
And we've been like, oh, whoops, God, I've just written myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, to tie things up this week, I think the best thing that we can say to our listeners is we are going to be looking at some, some books that you all definitely know and have heard of. So Christmas Carol, Great Expectations. We'll do, we'll do some good ones. I think the great thing about Dickens is that they're, they're, they're such famous stories, but as, as we said earlier, they bring a slightly new, new edge to them with, um, with the guests that we have on. So it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, so if you want to be prepared this time and uh, join us with a little bit of knowledge, you can read them before and that'll give you an edge and you'll have your own opinion and you could be like, they're absolutely wrong. What they just said was garbage. And then you can tweet us and let us know that what we wrote was rubbish and that your opinion is completely different. Or you can just join us once a week, hear it, decide whether or not you like the plot of the story that we're going to be breaking down and choose to listen to it or not. Perfect. Bring your great expectations, guys, because it's going to be great. It could be the best of times or the worst of times. We're not sure yet. <laughs> Sing those Christmas carols. That was terrible. I apologise. That was, uh, that was, that was aw an awful at live. No <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, guys. And remember to find us on Instagram. And that is at inquarantine underscore pod. Or you can find us on Twitter at InQuarantinePod. See you next week, guys.